uh, it's, it's a privilege to be here. Uh, we've known the Rices for, for many, many years uh, since, since their kids were all little, not since he was little. Um, but uh, we, we appreciate the opportunity to be here. Oh, I say we. My wife's not with me. Uh, she's been here before. We've been here for a couple of other just come by and visit. So she was okay with me coming back here because y'all had a chance to, to meet me. But I went to a new church this morning. She was a nervous wreck today. Uh, so when I go to a new church without her there to kind of calm things down and make sure that I don't say anything I'm not supposed to say, it, it makes her nervous. Uh, but I've been here before, so she allowed me to come here by myself. Um, we, we have uh, worked with the deaf for 28 years. It's been our full-time ministry. Uh, but before that, uh, while we were in college, I uh, was learning sign language. So somebody asked me earlier this evening, how long have I known sign language? And I started learning uh, 33, 34 years ago. Um, 34 years ago, started learning sign language. And my wife, she's known sign language much longer than that. She, she started learning as a, as a young teen. And uh, so the Lord's given us an opportunity to be in the ministry we're in. Um, when I was in college learning sign language, my mom was a nurse there in town. And she came home one day, it was a Wednesday afternoon, she came home and she said, uh, there's a deaf man at the hospital, would you like to visit him? And I said, sure. And so I thought, well, I'll go, I'll go there on on Thursday evening with my friend Newton and we'll, we'll uh, share the gospel with this deaf fellow. And, and Newton and I, we were pretty new in our sign language. Uh, and mom said, okay, well, I just need to let you know he's got tuberculosis and AIDS. And then she just goes through this big laundry list of all the diseases and problems he had. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I'm not so excited about going and visiting him. Uh, but I went to church that night, and I, I said, Hey, Newton, there's a deaf guy in the hospital. You want to go visit him with me tomorrow? Sure. So I didn't tell him anything about all the problems the guy had. And we got, uh, got in the car Thursday afternoon, driving to the hospital, and I'm driving along. And I said, Oh, by the way, he has tuberculosis. I didn't want to make eye contact. And AIDS. And I told him the list of things, and, and uh, he was kind of having the feeling that I had the night before. <laughs> but I just kind of, he was captive audience at that point. So we got to the hospital, and I got ready, or both of us, we got ready to go into the room. And the nurse down the hallway, she said, boys, boys, y'all can't go in there. We weren't boys. We were like 19. And uh, y'all can't go in there. You, you have to put on gloves and mask and all of that first. And we had, to, we had to have a gown. We had to have gloves, mask, hat, booties. Of course, we're kind of used to seeing that kind of stuff now in the hospital, but that was all new to, to us. And uh, so we got all this on, went into the, into the room, and uh, there was the deaf man there. His name was Dewey, and I introduced him said my name, and Dewey was so weak from all of his illness that uh, he couldn't really sign. All he could do was finger spell, and uh, he was spelling left-handed, which he only had half of his middle finger, and all of his ring finger was gone. Um, so he was spelling with the wrong hand, and, uh, 
and the, not all the letter was there uh, when he was spelling. And so that was our communication. He was just so weak, he couldn't do much more than that. And so we'd been there for just a couple of minutes, and uh, a doctor came in. And the doctor said, uh, oh, good, an interpreter. You tell him, whoa, 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 I'm not an interpreter. Uh, we're, just, we're just here to visit. No, you're, you're an interpreter. You tell him if he doesn't cooperate with me, he's going to die. Well, that's not what I came here to tell him. I came to share the gospel with him. And uh, so I said, why? You know, I'm not an interpreter. I, I can't do that. 19 years old when the doctor says, you have to tell him uh, if he doesn't cooperate with me, he's going to die. And so, okay, I'll, I'll do that. And so I told him, and the, the deaf man spelled good. Good? You want to die? And his response was, I have no reason to live. Um, and so that, that, was, that was difficult in that moment. And then the doctor and the deaf guy, they argued back and forth for like 10 minutes through me. Um, and then the doctor left mad. The deaf guy was mad and he didn't want to talk to us anymore. So Newton and I, we went out and sat down in the car and we just sat there and cried. Uh, we came to share the gospel with him, but now he doesn't even want to talk to us. And so we decided, okay, the next day, Friday, we'll go back to the hospital. And so we did. We went back to the hospital Friday and started, started sharing the gospel with him. And um, he got confused with some stuff. And uh, so, okay, well, well, we'll come back tomorrow. Came back Saturday, worked with him a little bit more. And then Sunday uh, afternoon, we went back. And I witnessed to him some more. And, you know, we're getting some understanding here. And then uh, Monday, he ended up getting saved. And so Newton and I, we went back out to the car, sat down, and we were crying again. Uh, but for a very different reason this time. And uh, what a privilege it was to share the gospel uh, with Dewey. Well, the next day, Newton wasn't able to go with me, but on Tuesday... That, uh, that next night, I, I went back up to the hospital and I went into the room and he's gone. And it's like, nurse, where's, where's the deaf guy? Well, he's moved to another hospital. He's terminal. He'll be dead in two weeks. And uh, that was our window of opportunity to, to share the gospel with him. Uh, those few days, uh, we learned about him. And then a week later, less than a week later, he was gone. Or at least gone from our opportunity. And uh, I've thought of that, that situation many times, how that not everybody in church knows how to sign with the deaf. Um, but God had given us that, that ability, that we, we have that language, Newton and I did. And so we were able to, to see him saved. And God used that whole situation to help guide me into the ministry that I'm doing today. You know, we don't need everybody in church to know sign language, uh, but we do need some. Uh, not everybody that we interact with is deaf, but there are some, and they need the gospel as well. We figure here in the U.S. that uh, there's about 0.1 to 0.2 percent of the population is deaf. Now, it's higher in some places, lower in others, but across the board, so that, that means for every thousand people, there's one or two deaf. 
and maybe a few more, a few less, but that's, that's going to be your, your average here. Uh, when you go into other countries, you're going to have a much higher rate of deafness, and that's because most deafness is from disease, uh, from, even here in the States, most, most deafness is not because of uh, genetics or injury, and, and I'm talking about uh, cultural deafness. I'm not talking about your grandma who can't hear. Uh, that's, a, that's a different situation. But, but when, when you have a young person that's deaf, it's usually because of disease. And um, anywhere where you have a high fever and an inability to get that fever down, even just an aspirin could, could save somebody's hearing in some cases. Uh, but if you, if you don't have access to that, you can't afford it, uh, you don't even know that's an issue, then you're going to have a higher rate of deafness. And so in other countries, that, that rate may be one, two, uh, as much as 5% uh, deaf, which 1% deafness is 10 times the number of deaf we have here. Um, and so um, they need the gospel as well. The deaf are one of the largest unreached people groups in the world. They don't have the ability to drive down the road and casually turn on the radio and hear the gospel. Is there anybody here that was saved because you heard the gospel or that was very influential listening to the gospel on the radio or listening to a preacher on the radio that led to your salvation? Is there anybody like that? I've met several people uh, that are saved and some even in the ministry today because of a radio preacher. And uh, the deaf never have that opportunity to just casually turn on the radio and hear about Jesus Christ. Uh, there are some good TV preachers. Not many, but <laughs> there, there are some good TV preachers. And, and I've met people that have been saved because they were in a hotel room, lonely, looking for, some, looking for something to fill the emptiness and, and watch, watch a TV program and give their lives to Christ. The, the deaf by and large, don't have access to that like we do here in the States and certainly not in other countries. And so there's a need for uh, taking the gospel to them. And so, so God used that whole situation with Dewey to, to lead me and my friend Newton. He's, he's involved while he is a computer programmer. That's how he makes his money. Uh, he is involved in training hundreds of young people every year in how to sign and how to communicate with the deaf and how to share the gospel with the deaf. He's probably, he's probably been influent, more influential in reaching the deaf world uh, through his ministry as a computer programmer, teaching sign language to college kids uh, than, than even my ministry. And I'm, I'm thankful for my uh, long relationship with Newton. Newton and I, recently we had a 30th anniversary trip. We went to Italy together and... Uh, so we, we enjoyed a week in Rome together. We let our wives come too. Um, but uh, anyway, that's, uh, that's how the Lord has led me into the ministry that I'm in today. I wanted to give you all an opportunity for a couple of questions. Pastor said that I didn't need to end until the little hand got all the way to the top. So when it was pointing straight up and down, that's when I needed to stop. Uh, he may have meant the big hand, but he said the little hand. And so that is what I'm going, going with. So I've got plenty of time for questions. Uh, anybody have a question that I can answer?
If you don't, I have a couple canned questions that typically get answered. Uh, so somebody wants to ask this question, but maybe you're embarrassed. She knew my canned question. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, our sign language is different in other countries. Uh, many, many countries have their own sign language. I, I have heard a number of somewhere around 200 distinct sign languages uh, in the world. There, there are different sign languages in different parts of the world. We, we learned sign language here, and then we went to Mexico. Mexico got their sign language a couple of years before we got our sign language. Our sign language came from France. The, U, the U.S. sign language, what we call American sign language today, came from France. Mexico got their sign language from France. But over the course of 200 years, they've kind of developed independently. So our sign language doesn't look like Mexican sign language, nor does it look like French sign language, at least not, not um, to an understandable degree. Uh, so we had to learn a new sign language when we went to Mexico, uh, which in Mexico wasn't that difficult. Uh, in Mexico, when I got there, I could, I could at least act out something and get people to understand me, and I could understand them uh, to, to a degree. But we did. We learned the sign language. And then we went to, uh, we moved to Argentina. And their sign language came from Italy. And I couldn't understand a thing they were saying. And I don't think they understood me either. Uh, it was not at all familiar uh, to, to, to me and my wife. And so we had to learn their sign language. Um, some of the other countries I've been to, Peru, it's mostly the same as ours. It's probably 60 or 70% the same as our sign language. Um, Ethiopia, they, man they, they manage, they use two different sign languages uh, there, and American Sign Language is one of them. Uh, Nigeria, uh, where several of the pictures there at the end are from, Nigeria uses our American Sign Language. Uh, but I went to Tanzania, and Tanzania has its own sign language, and it doesn't look anything familiar to me. And then, of course, if you even tried to fingerspell, their, their words are in Swahili, and so that doesn't make any sense. And uh, so when I was there, I preached in American Sign Language, and the deaf guy that I was preaching for, he's a Tanzanian national, deaf, um, he came here to the States for Bible college. And so he knows American Sign Language. So I'd preach in American Sign Language, and he'd, he'd stand over here, watch me, and he'd sign in, in the Tanzanian Sign Language. And then somebody sat out in the crowd and spoke it into Swahili for us. So it was a multilingual uh, message that day. Uh, so the sign languages are different in different countries, but not all countries have a different sign language. Uh, French Sign Language and German Sign Language have influenced many other countries. Uh, and then, of course, American Sign Language, because of missionaries, has been very influential in other countries. So knowing American Sign Language really is probably the one that gets you most access to the most number of uh, countries. But then there's... There's all, all kinds of languages. This summer, in August, I'll have the privilege of going to a big deaf event. It's called Deaf Nation World Expo. And uh, they're expecting 20,000 deaf from around the world uh, to go to that event. And I'll be with a team of friends, and we'll have, we'll have booths set up and handing out gospel 
DVDs, tracks, sharing the gospel, one-on-one -on -one witnessing. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that this summer. But they will be people from everywhere. Uh, I've been to this event a couple of times in the past. And I, I should write down this year how many, how many different countries of people that I meet. But I've probably met people from 25, 30 different countries uh, through that event in the past. And so the sign languages are different there. Any other questions? Yes, ma'am. Our, our son knows the Mexican Sign Language quite well, and he's done okay with the American Sign Language. Um, Mexican Sign Language was his first language, and uh, he has taken some sign language classes since then, from my friend Newton. Uh, and then our daughter, she, she knows more American Sign Language, but not really enough to communicate. My wife and I know... Um, Three distinct, really distinct sign languages. And then, um, like Costa Rica, I went there one time. And I had to learn like 40 or 50 different words, for the most part the same. And so when I go to a place like that, I just learn what I need to. And it's usually just there for a short time. But as far as like really knowing the language, we know three distinct sign languages. And your other question. Spelling, finger spelling. So that mm -hmm. just spelled out every word. Yes, yes. It was tedious and painful, <laughs> especially since he's missing a finger and a half. <laughs> All right, any other question? Yes, ma'am. Uh, the, the Mexican Sign Language. Uh, we, we pretty much learned it in a week, and that was not a normal thing. Most people wouldn't be able to do that. Uh, but we were, we were given a wonderful opportunity. As we were driving down to, to where we were going to live, there was a deaf camp going on. And so we pulled our truck and trailer over and went to camp for a week. And we got a very intense language school. Uh, and that now the spoken language we we went to language school to learn Spanish, and you know people think oh you you know sign language you don't have to speak the spoken language well, I still have to go buy my groceries and, and so we went to language school for Spanish but as far as learning the the sign language Mexico uh, it it we learned the bulk of what we needed in a week. And now we learned a whole lot more as time went on, but we learned the vast majority of what we needed there that first week. When we went to Argentina, we couldn't get anybody that would just sit down and teach us a bunch of signs. Uh, we have been places where we will have somebody, okay, just teach me everything you know, and we'll learn three or 400 words in a day. Uh, now, this is not something that that we're going to keep in our heads for time and immemorial. It is, it is, we're learning it and trying to manage it all and just a, for a short period of time. But we've learned three and four hundred signs in a day before for a particular thing. Uh, but that, that would not be, that would not be easy for you to do if you didn't know any other signed language. But, but once you know one sign language, it makes it so much easier to, to learn another one. And there's ways of coding signs where you write it down. 
uh, where, where I can just, with a written description, not, being, not having to be an artist, with a written description, I can, I can write down everything that makes this sign work. And so I can, I can code out a whole bunch of signs and then be able to study them later. Um, but yes, uh, learning a new sign language. I would say t if you're learning sign language for the first time, you can get the basics down in a couple of months if you're really uh, vigilant about it. And then over the course of a couple years, having it, you know, again, you have to work at it, but to become fluent in, in the language. One last question. Thought I saw a hand over here. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, the American Sign Language, Mexican Sign Language, and Argentine. Yeah. And um, then, then spoken just English and English and Spanish is all I, all I claim. But I, I've I've learned enough Italian to 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 get around. Uh, taxi drivers are fun in Italy, uh, and so we we did. I, I learned a whole lot more Italian after I came and visited you guys, uh, and uh, so we've got that. And there's some Swahili, but but as far as the sign languages, Mexican, American, and Italian, uh, or um, Argentine. The uh, here in the United States, we actually have a couple of distinct sign languages. They're not completely separate, but it's more the usage of the signs and the way, you, the way you use the words as opposed to the words themselves being different. And so we, we know both of those main ones. They're called uh, signed English and American Sign Language. Uh, again, pretty much the same signs, you just use them differently. All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. This is Paul talking to the church in Thessalonica. And this is a church that has been persecuted. Of course, Paul had gone through his time of persecution as well, uh, ultimately died uh, from it. But um, Paul says to the Thessalonians here in, um, in 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 and 2, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And, and verses like this that are simple, that help us to see uh, specific things that we can, we can do uh, for the cause of missions. And God, I pray that you'll help us to do that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Paul's, Paul's asking for prayer here in three different areas. And uh, I, I want to help you apply this uh, to, to your ministry of prayer uh, with the missionaries that, that you support. Um, find out what their prayer requests are and pray for them. Uh, and that, and so that, that would be like the first thing. You know, what is it specifically they're asking for? And then here's some, some things that might be a help to you to pray for them beyond just what their letters say. He says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course. That, that phrase there, it, it's in Greek, it's that the word of the Lord would run. It's like you take a bucket of water and you pour it out and the water just kind of goes where it wants to go. Uh, that's the idea of the word here, that, that God's word would run. 
that it would go where it wants to go. Now, if I poured out a bucket of water here and then I put up little barriers here and there and stopped it, I would, I would keep it from running. There, there are things that can hinder God's word from running and going out and being effective uh, in, in the lives of the people that the missionary is witnessing to. Um, I, I think of external things like governments. Governments can certainly be a hindrance to, to God's word running and doing what it wants to do. Um, you've probably read over the last two years, you've probably read in prayer letters, uh, we can't get back to our country because of visas. Or in some cases, missionaries over there not being allowed to leave and come back here. Uh, so governments can be a hindrance to, to God's word going out. Uh, it can also be, um, it could be religions that hinder God's word from having free course, from being, being effective. And so as you read your, your prayer letters from your missionaries, read through there and find out, okay, what is it they're asking us to pray for? They, they're praying for a particular person or event that's coming up and, and write those things down and pray for them. This is something that, that you and I in a church can do for these missionaries. And don't think of prayer as being unimportant. Of course, we'd never say that. We'd never say that prayer is unimportant. But we do, we do think like this sometimes. Brother, is there something more I can do for you besides pray? Well, okay, pr prayer is you're doing something. Now, you may also do something else beyond that. Uh, but don't feel like you are just praying because prayer is important. So, so pray for your missionaries. Pray that they would, they would be able to, to share God's word and that it would have free course and be able to touch lives and not be hindered by governments or religions or, or other types of influences like that. Um, I'm looking at the clock and thinking, man, I got 45 stories I want to tell. But let me, uh, let me just tell you this, thinking about um, uh, religions being, an inf uh, being a hindrance. Uh, when I first went to Mexico and I was looking for a place to live, looking for a house to rent, I was there by myself. And I'd gone to the deaf school. There was a deaf school in town. And I'd gone to the deaf school and I came in and there, in the lobby were the mothers of the kids. Uh, you know, the moms would bring them to school and then they would just stay there and then take them home. That way you, you didn't have to pay for a whole bunch of extra buses back and forth. And so they were, the moms were there. I came in, greeted them, and then I went in and, and uh, got my tour of the school, met the kids and such. And I ended up, I taught in the school there in, in town for the four years while we were in Mexico. Um, and I would often spend time talking to the moms. Well, this first day I was there, I'm chatting with the moms after I'd done my tour. I came out, chatted around, and then it's like, I'm, I'm not much of a planner. You know, uh, I, can, I can take care of what's at this moment, but two hours from now, we'll deal with that two hours from now. So here I am. I'd gotten from the church that I was staying at, the nice concrete floor I was sleeping on. I had gotten downtown to 
to the school because every bus comes downtown. That's easy. Uh, but now I need to get back out to, to where the church is. So I'm asking around, what, what bus do I need to take to get me over to this part of town? And, of course, you ask five people and you get seven different answers. Uh, and one of the ladies said, I'll walk you to the bus. Oh, that's nice. She's being a real nice, sweet lady. Uh, I'll walk you to the bus. So we walk out. She's got a nice big smile on her face. And then as soon as we walk out of the building, she looked at me and she said, Who are you and what are you doing here? Well, my name is David and I'm here to teach the Bible to the deaf. What kind of Bible? Hey, she was a little short lady. Uh, and I said, well, God's Word, the, the Bible. What religion are you? Now, I figured she was Catholic, uh, so I was trying to be real diplomatic here. And I said, well, I'm Baptist, but I'm not here to teach, teach people to become a Baptist. I'm here to teach the Bible. And then her face changed again, and she got a big smile, and she said, I'm Baptist too. Will you teach my son about Jesus? And, well, yes, I will. And uh, his name was Israel. Uh, but that whole thing of, uh, she was very protective uh, because she wanted to make sure that I was going to teach right. Uh, but religions can hinder people from, from hearing God's word. Well, the... Uh, Shorter, shorter version of the story is eventually, uh, once we moved down there, Israel started coming to her son. Israel started coming to our, our Bible study and then brought friends, brought friends, brought friends. And uh, we had five that we worked with for nine months, five deaf young people. And all five of them got saved about nine months later. And... Uh, I was back at the school, I'd been teaching that day, and I came out, sat in the lobby, just yakking with the, the mothers, uh, you know, they're out there doing their knitting, and then they're gossiping and stuff, so it was my time to go out and do my gossiping with them, and I'm sitting out there uh, talking to the moms, and uh, one lady had gotten up and moved, and Israel's mom came over and sat beside me, and she was crying. Oh no, what did I do? You know, you girls don't understand. You start crying and it makes us guys really feel awkward. It's like, what did I do wrong? And uh, uh, she said, David, my family has prayed for you for 14 years. She didn't know me 14 years ago. Um, she said, when, when our son was born and we knew he was deaf we knew he would not have access to the gospel. Uh, and we have prayed for 14 years that God would send someone to share the gospel with our, with our son. And uh, we have prayed for you for 14 years. Well, of course, by this time, now I'm crying. And, uh, and I said, 14 years ago, when your son was born, like within a month of her son being born, I was standing... Uh, beside a white Toyota pickup truck uh, with Mary Shepard uh, in Peru. And uh, Mary said, David, what are you going to do when you grow up? And I was 21 at the time. And I thought, well, I'm already grown up. Why are you asking me this kind of question? You know, what are you going to do when you grow up? And I said, well, I, I feel like the Lord's 
want me to be in deaf ministry and possibly in Spanish-speaking countries. That was, that was a month after Israel was born, and that's when his family started praying for us. And uh, we had the privilege of sharing the gospel with him, and he, he got saved. Um, they prayed for us for 14 years, and their son uh, accepted the Lord. You know, your neighbor might have somebody that's been praying for them for 23 years, and God wants you to be that one to walk across the street and hand them a tract, show God's love to them, and, and help them to see their need for salvation. Uh, I, I just happen to know this story uh, because the mom shared it with me, but uh, there, there are people praying for you. Now, you don't know who they are. They don't know who you are, uh, but let the Lord lead you. When, when, you, when you are around people, just be aware that this person might need the Lord and share, share God with them. Hearing or deaf, doesn't matter. So anyway, gov um, governments, religions, there's other things that can be an, an, a hindrance to, to God's word going out and having free course. But pray for those things. Pray for your missionaries that, that God's word would have free course, that it would be effective. And uh, then, then Paul says, and that the word of the Lord would be glorified, that it would be lifted up and honored. Now, the Bible has value. Uh, that's not what he's talking about here. Uh, the, Bible, the Bible intrinsically, God's word has value. But the other person only knows it has value because of the way we act around the Bible. Uh, if, if you didn't know anything about gold and you found a chunk of gold sitting on the parking lot, <laughs> you pick it, okay, it's just a, it's a pretty rock and you throw it away. Well, until somebody tells you that there's value in that pretty rock, then it doesn't mean anything to you. And, and so Paul says, here's, here's the gold, here's the, here's the thing that has value, but pray that God's word would be glorified, that it would be lifted up and valued. Uh, sometimes missionaries can be the ones that are guilty of devaluing God's word. Oh, those, those wicked missionaries, rotten missionaries, why would they do that? Whatever frustrations and trouble you deal with, the missionary deals with it too. And the missionary is there doing the ministry. People know who he is. And when the missionary loses his temper, that can, that can take the, the value of God's word down in the eyes of the, the people. And you ought to pray for the missionary that they will have the right attitude. Uh, there's this thing called culture shock. And I used to think culture shock was something that just wham, hit the missionary, boom, he's in shock. Uh, and, and that's not it at all. A, a better term for that probably is culture fatigue. It's where you've got this, this different culture that's uh, constantly grating on you. And as, as the missionary husband, I've got 42 things that are irritating me all the time. And my wife is thinking, well, just grow up. You think that's bad. You ought to see these 26 things that are bothering me. And so she's got the things that are bothering her. I've got the things that are bothering me. And that just causes this, this tension that's constantly there. Always pushing down on the missionary. And 
And this is where culture shock comes in. You start hating everybody and everything. Why, why do we only have a choice of one kind of cheese? Um, I've got friends, they're, they're cheese nuts. And they, they go ballistic. Anytime they go to Walmart, and Walmart doesn't have one of the 42 cheeses they normally carry. And it's like, okay, well, I was just thankful to get any kind of cheese at times. Uh, not that they didn't have the one cheese that I wanted, but and that kind of stuff just constantly uh, rubs on the missionary. And, and whatever frustration you have, uh, at least you're dealing with it in a culture you understand. Uh, the missionary is, is dealing with people that he doesn't even understand why they think the way they do. And, and it just wears on you. And you ought to pray that the missionary would value, would glorify God's word. That's what, that's what Paul says here. Pray that the word of the Lord would be glorified, lifted up. Uh, my dad died back in May. And thankfully, I was here in the States. I was able to go spend time with him the week before he died. I stayed with mom a couple, couple weeks afterwards. I preached. We had two, two different memorial services for him. I preached in both of them. Um, it really, for me, it was, it was a wonderful thing. Not that dad died, but that I was able to be part of all of this. Well, if you have a missionary in Australia right now, uh, if they came home for a funeral, at this point, they're not getting back. Uh, they're not going to be allowed back in the country. Um, and th would they even get here in time for that? Uh, whatever, whatever thing you deal with, imagine dealing with that 5,000 miles away from any possibility to help uh, to that situation. And so, so pray for your missionaries. They, they, they are dealing with the same things you are, but now they're far, farther away from home. They're in a culture that, that maybe they've been there 25 years. It still gets on your nerves. It still, when, when they play the music so loud at 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, why do they have to do, it just gets on your nerves. And it never gets... It never doesn't get on your nerves. It may, it may get on your nerves a little less after 25 years, but it never doesn't get on your nerves. And pray. Pray that God's word would be glorified because a missionary can walk out of an electric company office that he's been trying, you know, he's standing in line for four hours to pay his bill, and then he gets up there to the window and they say, oh, you need this piece of paper. It's like, just take my money. And, and they, won't, they won't let you pay your bill. And so you have to go home, get that piece of paper, and come back and stand in line again. And you walk out of there with a bad attitude, saying things you shouldn't say. And people are watching you as the missionary. Uh, pray. Pray for your missionaries, that they would be protected from that type of thing. And then he says, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Obviously, in the world, there are difficult situations going on all the time. Right now, uh, particularly, uh, there's, there's some things going on that, um, that could be very dangerous for a missionary. Most of the world has a, what they call a Napoleonic system of law. Uh, here in the United States, we work with uh, innocent until proven guilty. That's, that's your typical statement here. In most of the world, it's guilty until proven innocent. And whatever happens, okay, you go to jail first, and then we'll figure it out. 
Um, I've spent time in a Mexican jail because of that. And um, seven hours later, they determined that I was innocent uh, and I got to go home. But that could have gone a very different direction. And I'm talking about just jail in Mexico. That's, that's pretty minor compared to what somebody would go through in Afghanistan or Egypt or right now uh, somebody that's preaching in China or Russia or wherever. Um, it could be much more than just seven hours in jail. Paul says, pray that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Now, you don't need to pray that the missionary would be safe and be able to come home and see his mama. Um, it, it's fine to do that. But he's not saying that every missionary is going to um, live the rest of their life in happily ever after. Uh, that's not what he's asking for. But he's asking that God's, God's will would be done. Uh, my wife asked me a, a weird question a few years ago. Uh, I was uh, on my way to Africa and uh, she said, so if you die over there, what do you want me to do with your body? <laughs> well, I guess, I don't know. I won't care at that point. Uh, and there's no guarantee that I'm going to come home from one of these trips. I'm afraid to say she might be okay with that. I don't know. <laughs> uh, there's no guarantee that I'm going to come home. Uh, from one of these trips. There's no guarantee I'm going to make it home tomorrow. Uh, so this is not praying that the missionary would be safe and everything would be rosy, but pray that God's will would be done in their life and that God would be glorified through whatever hardship the missionary may have. Um, there's going to be difficulties for the missionary and there's going to be people against them, but, but we can pray for them. And then just as a... A final thing here, when you're thinking about praying for your missionaries and these different areas, let me just encourage you to let them know. Uh, you, again, you don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to know everything that's going on with every one of your missionaries, but you ought to pick out three or four families that, hey, these are going to be my missionaries. I'm going to follow them. I'm going to figure out what's going on in their life and keep up to date with what's going on with them. And then let them know. Uh, I was talking to a pastor. He says, you know, I pray for missionaries, but uh, I, I, I just figure they've got, you know, if you've got a, a typical missionary who's going to have like 80 supporting churches, well, you know, he's got 80 people, 80 churches that's right in him all the time. No, no, he doesn't. Uh, I, every time I send out a prayer letter, I might hear back from five or seven people, but I don't hear back from 80 I don't get overwhelmed with too many comments, hey, brother, I'm praying for you. Um, that, is, that has never been a problem. And uh, let me encourage you to uh, send an email. Maybe you have their text phone number. Uh, WhatsApp works everywhere. Uh, Facebook Messenger, if you're friends with them. Just connect with the missionary and just let them know you're praying for them. Now, you don't have to take up three hours of their time every day chatting back and forth. But just let them know that you're praying for them. Maybe, maybe you write a letter and 
stick your spit on, on an envelope and send it all the way across the world and give, send them a letter. Uh, I don't get overwhelmed with too much communication from churches, nor does any other missionary. Uh, so pray for them and then let them know you've prayed for them. Uh, that would be a great encouragement to them. I appreciate your time. I appreciate the opportunity to share with you tonight. I'm going to have a word of prayer. And I want to ask you that as I pray, maybe the Lord's already brought somebody to your mind that you should be praying for, one of your missionaries, or ask the Lord to, to help you connect with these missionaries. And again, you don't have to get to know every missionary intimately, but you ought to know some and find some that uh, you've really connected with while they were here and read their letters, find out what's going on. So let me pray. You pray for yourself and I'll ask Pastor to come. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and that we have the privilege to partner together in this, this area of missions. The missionary as they go and do their work and then the church as they support the missionary through prayer. And we often think of support being financial and certainly the finances are needed, but they're, they're much less important than the prayer. And God, I pray that you would help us to pray for one another. And particularly, as Paul says, pray for us as missionaries that God's word would, would have free course, that it wouldn't be hindered, that God's word would be glorified and that the missionary would be delivered from wicked and unreasonable men, that you would do your will in their lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And Wednesdays I usually try and give updates on all our missionaries as I get letters and as we try and follow what's going on. And I was just sitting there thinking, you know, the Skeens are, of course, in Ukraine. Keep them in prayer all that's going on there. The U family in Korea just went back and they're without insurance because of having been out of the country. And I think of the Schmitz is in their states. They're here in the states trying to get paperwork taken care of so they can go back to the field. And the uh, McClure's, Evangeline with her health situation, she's in the states and, and praise the Lord, those tests all came back. There's, there's really nothing uh, wrong, which is a blessing, but they're getting ready to go back. And the other McClure's, uh, Josh and Amanda, and their vehicle situation. I, I could go on and on. The uh, the McGeorges over in uh, Nauru that they're at, and and their building situation, and our missionaries. We need to keep them in prayer. We try and bring all those updates, and uh, of course our the Lewis family in Papua New Guinea, and. Uh, the the war that the, the tribal war that broke out in the country where they were at and but we need to pray for our missionaries and keep them in prayer that the word of the Lord would have free course as was preached as they strive to reach people with the gospel these are just the ones we know imagine all the ones we don't know we don't keep up with. Pray for our missionaries.